welcome to episode 20 of the Podding Shed, the podcast of the ChelseaFCblog.com. Well, Saturday's much-discussed West London derby produced 90 minutes of dull football and more tits on display than your average French gossip magazine. The number of people now refusing to shake hands with each other is in danger of seeing the whole Terry Ferdinand affair spiralling to a full-scale playground feud. As has previously been noted, Anton doesn't need a lawyer anymore, he just needs a dinner lady and a good clip round the ear. The only, hand, only handshaking gesture we can think of for, for Ferdinand the Lesser, QPR and their fans, is one similar to that popularised by Gareth Hunt in a 1970s coffee advert. One for the teenagers there. Yeah. Joining me as always in the shed are Grocer Jack, who is Tony. Good evening. Mark25, who is Mark. Hello. And Dr. Blue Bayou, who is Donal. Good evening. Good evening, gents. We will start with the aforementioned game at QPR, dominated by Handshake Gate and not a lot else. Um, Mark, you are the only one of us who actually paid any great degree of attention to the game. Give us your thoughts on the game to start off, and then we can deal with all the... Um, the nonsense around handshakes and the rest of it after that. Yeah, thanks. Um, I, I saw the game in a pub, but it was a slightly dodgy screen. There was one very large projection screen, but as always in the pub, there was just far too much light, and there were just sort of faint figures dancing on the distant wall. Uh, so I watched it on a very small plasma TV hanging above the bar. Uh, but actually, that was probably enough of a view um, mm. to sample what was going on. It was a frustrating game, and I think it was one of those games where you could tell fairly early on that we were never going to score. Uh, we did have two very reasonable penalty shouts, but I think the referee did bottle it, and um, I think he was just trying to compensate for the Anton scenario, where he didn't want to be seen to being be being too soft and easy with Chelsea. So um, he decided not to give those two penalties, although I thought they were both fairly clear-cut. Yeah. We did have one reasonable chance in the second half where Hazard managed to blast over from eight yards. Um, but apart from that, uh, not much was going on, to be honest. And we didn't really test their goalkeeper once. Torres was uh, very disappointing. And he did walk off in a huff after 80 minutes when he was substituted. And he did surprise me that he went straight down the tunnel. I mean, he had stayed on for 80 minutes, which I thought was long enough to warm up. And if he wasn't going to do it by then, he never was. So I think he could have gone and sat on the bench. So he may still be a problem child, to be honest, even though we thought he was improving. Um, I'm not so sure he is. Uh, but overall, I was quite happy, even though I haven't sounded it, in that um, we did manage to get one point out of the game, mm. which we didn't achieve last year. We did keep 11 players on the field instead of nine. <laughs> And yes. it is a very hostile place, and, and QPR are always up for that game because they are jealous and bitter neighbours. Yep. And whenever they can have a scrap with us on the pavement outside the front of our two houses, we've got the BMW in our drive and they've got the mattress in theirs. They don't hold back in uh, sticking it on us, really, so I thought we did well to come out of that. No, I think um, I d ultimately it, it almost felt like there was a degree of... Uh, <laughs> A degree of damage limitation. We needed some warning on that one, didn't we? I, think. <laughs> no, I, I stole that joke from someone else. Actually. I know a, a property developer. Right. Oh. And he was going on about the fact that um, when you build a new development, you're enforced to um, include social housing. Yes. Mm. 
And he said, you know, you can always tell the social housing places. They look identical in terms of the fabric of the building, but as you walk past, there's the BMW on one drive and the mattress on the other. So I thought I could just utilise that. You did it brilliantly. It's very very apt, considering that Mark Hughes is bedded in a a fairly new squad as well. Oh, it's even better. Um, It did... um, I I do think it did feel like, from what I've read and heard, um, the referee was was looking for a very, very non-controversial game. Um... And I think, you know, Mark says the fact we got away from there with a point, eleven players on the pitch, and you know, nothing like the unmitigated disaster of last season. Um, in in context, can pretty much be seen as a um, a good afternoon's work. Um, the, the the whole handshake business, um, when it when it reaches the point where you're issuing or the, you know the Premier League is issuing a press release before the game saying the handshake will take place as normal it, it sort of defeats the point of it all as far as I'm concerned it, it, why, why are we bothering but then again a friend of mine pointed out to me last night well I'll tell you why they're bothering is that all the while that the teams wander past each other and shake hands all you can see in the background behind them is a Barclays logo mm. and given that the game is on television somewhere in the world, be it a pub in north-ish London, or Sweden, Australia, wherever it happens to be, um, you would suspect that whatever happens around the whole business of handshake, and however ludicrous it gets, there's probably an interested party that um, that wants it to continue. Um, isn't, there also, isn't there also something to, that, <clears throat> by having this sort of... This happens in, in the Premier League and doesn't happen, say, in, in, in the Championship or whatever. It, it's something to do with distinguishing. It's not just a football game. They own, they own the rights to this handshaking business. And because that's tacked on to the football game, it gives them a more... So it's, it's something to do with copyright and, and rights prob- and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's probably I'm sure I read something about that somewhere, yeah. It's probably a format issue, I would imagine, for my... You know, yeah, which means that if you show it on, if, if if you're showing it illegally somewhere, if if you cut that bit out, it, or if that bit wasn't in it, you could claim you're just showing a football game that you've nicked off the TV, mm. but you're you're actually nicking it off them because you're showing something that's there. Yeah, it's a they can't own football, but they can own that. So I, it's something like that. I'm, I'm not an expert. No, I, I think that that may all be right because the Champions League. Um format of a few seasons ago where you had Andy Townsend and another youth society V tool standing by the pitch around a small sort of lectern type thing. Yes. That was actually a format or all part of a particular format which I think was invented by a a Swiss company um, mm. that, that UEFA paid a fortune for. I can't remember yeah. what the, the figure was, but it was silly, silly money. So that's probably right. So yeah, I suspect that all the while there's 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 a potential format issue and the business of a sponsor seeing their name, you know, that the whole handshake thing isn't going away anytime soon as much as we probably all want it to on, on occasions like this. Um, Tony, um, you have a, a good firm handshake on you. What's your um, your view on the matter? <laughs> well, it overshadowed uh, the game completely, didn't it? And, and I, I, while I understand, you know, sponsorship and, and, and formats and that sort of stuff, um, I'm I'm with Mark Hughes actually. Um, not often I'm going to say that these days, but um, drop the whole thing and just let people decide at the end of the game whether they want to shake mm. hands. I mean, it, I, I seem to remember seeing it either tweeted or or maybe on our blog somewhere that that someone has described this as a tradition. 
a, tr- a tradition stretching back what four years? Oh, so yeah, it's four yeah. or five years. Nothing. I find that utterly incredible, and and um, I, I just think that the, the football needs to get a grip on it because they're probably getting more adverse publicity. You know, through through the succession of handshake gates that happen every season, it, it doesn't just involve us. We, we you know, it's, it's happened with um, Suarez and um, Evra, uh, yeah. and and inarguably made even more of a scene in that one than this one. I mean, I, I think when 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 I the, the bit I saw, you know, it, it's made Anton Ferdinand look a complete ass. Um, well, I think the thing. Sorry to interrupt. But yeah. I, I think that the thing that you know, having watched the video. The thing that I found most embarrassing was he kind of sort of shoved the kid along as well. He did. He pushed. Which I just thought, you know, yeah. irrespective of what you think, the kid probably wanted yeah. to shake hands with John Terry because he's got his, you know, his day on the pitch as yeah. a mascot. I just thought it, it all seemed terribly churlish. And yeah. Kind well, of the, 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 the observations, you know, that, that come out of it are okay. I would, I, I would not have expected him to shake John Terry's hand. Okay, um, because I think you know, although a lot of it was a lot of the whole thing was of his own making. You know, there's, this is a guy who said he didn't hear anything, and and appears to be having some strings pulled by an elder brother and a cousin, Allegedly. yeah, um, somewhere to, to to drive him into this. You know, he seemed to. Cut, he, I don't uh, think um, his brother's driving him into anything now because he's just been banned from driving. <laughs> <laughs> You, but, you set him up, Mark, or not Yeah, him. absolutely. Um, but I, I, I think, yeah. I, while I, I could probably just about say, okay, I expect that, you know, these two guys don't like each other, whatever. His, his snub of Ashley Cole was unbelievably churlish. I mean, what is he accusing Ashley Cole of? Being a racist? A liar? What? You know, I mean, I, I found that. And then... Jason well, it's sort of Park. you went and told on teacher, didn't you? Well, Jason Park, yeah, but, but this is... This I mean, it's ridiculous, yeah, I agree entirely, it's Absolutely, ridiculous. you know, I mean, uh, has Ash, Ashley Cole did nothing except stand in a court of law... Under no, he sat, he sat down, Tony. Let's get our facts yeah. straight on this. Yeah. This is important. Okay, yeah. <laughs> he sat down. He sat down and he told the truth, or he's, you know, under oath or whatever, and it, actually, when his brother, when... Anton Ferdinand's brother used the derogatory term chalk ice or retweeted that with the I know where you're coming from fella um, comment or whatever Ashley Cole made a point of saying I couldn't give a shit you know I'm friends with Rio he made nothing out of it so what's Anton Ferdinand's point here and it has overshadowed everything and it's left a sour taste and it's it's setting up what was already probably a fairly not bitter rivalry because they're never going to be in our our league in terms of, of victories and and and, and honours or whatever. But you know, like a, a local derby, a bitterness or, or whatever you want to call it, local bragging rights thing. It's now turned that into something with a nasty undertone, which probably wasn't. You know, maybe to me wasn't there. I've got friends of mine who are QPR fans who've always been pretty decent and you know there but for the grace of god go i because i lived in that area of london where you were either qpr or chelsea and i I just think it's completely unnecessary and if the the fa can't see that and they can't see the uh the the kind of undercurrent of nastiness and um controversy and general how how the bad the pr is then then you know they're, they are, they're more stupid than I thought. Just drop it. Just let men be men. Let them shake hands afterwards. If they don't want to shake hands, that's fine. I would. Abs- How many of you would expect to go into work every morning if your company said you will shake hands with everybody else in the other office? What? 
you know, it's ridiculous. Yeah, no, it, it, it summed up very well there, I feel. Um, so that was Handshake Gate, which... I, <laughs> handshake Gate makes me is, it, It's just a recurring irritation now, in the sense that in, you know, four or five months' time, or whatever it is, when, when we get the return leg at the bridge, depending on what's happened... You know, uh, Terry's hearing is next week, as far as I understand. It's the day before the Wolves game. Um, and there's, you know, also mutterings about Ferdinand taking out some sort of civil case, though God only knows where he hopes to get with that. I have no idea. Um, we're just going to repeat this again and again and again and again, and it's all fairly tiresome. But, you know, hey, I suspect that's um, that's modern football, or at least one facet of it. Um if we actually just sort of try and concentrate on the game for a moment, obviously albeit there wasn't. Just, just before you go, just before you're going, no, carry on. Um, listening on the radio, they were all um, very struck by. Um, apparently, Basinga was uh, made a very big point of warmly shaking his hand and patting him on the back when he was passing John Terry. He, he sort of it was uh, right. almost exaggerated. I don't know if that was. I didn't see it on the TV. They, they've passed over that bit on Match of the Day, but uh, on the radio, they, they were saying it was a, you know, it was a very obvious and warm sort of handshake and pat on the back. You know, it wasn't just a sort of a nod quite, to him or anything like that. So sounds quite quite a pointed gesture, if nothing else. But uh, yes, yeah, I don't know if he was one of those who made a statement that was. You know, one of the sixteen that was in court, etc. But uh, mm. he obviously felt he had to to make plain <clears throat> where he stood. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. No, I think that's a, that's a, that's a fair point. Um, a couple of sort of points I saw on Twitter, stroke chat room, stroke you know various bits of social media after the game was that a few people. It was. It wasn't you know kind of the old one or two with a, with a grudge thought. Di Matteo was tactically a bit naive, left his change a little bit too late. Um, again, I can't comment because I didn't see it, but, you know, thoughts on that, anyone? Well, I'll, I'll jump in here. I've, I've got Do to please. Admit, I, I've got to admit that my mojo this season is running at about 50% of where I would have expected it. Now, this does seem to be a recurring theme after any Euros or World Cups. So any of those years where the football season effectively doesn't really seem to end. Okay. And I, I'm finding the backstabbing or the, the, the constant carping. We're three games in, four games in, okay, and the carping from so-called real fans who are the first ones to hold up the plastic card at anybody who dares to dissent from the... Um, the Twitterverse Chelsea viewpoint or whatever, um, already giving it the... Do I just say you're about to go to a rant? Oh, well, it, it, to be honest with you, JD, it fucks me off. For RDM, we won the Champions League. This season has got more chance of being an anti-climax in comparison to last season than any other season we've probably had, okay, because of the sheer drama of everything, okay? But this guy has, has been given uh, a, a number of new players. He has to manage... 
some of the older players out. He's got the Maluda issue sitting there, you know, with with the with the uh, training with the other uh, the kids or whatever. Okay, and everybody in the world, including us, I, I dare say here, would say we know better. I, I'd like to think we're having a slightly more intelligent level of conversation on this podcast about the, the, the pros and cons and try to put a balanced argument across where, of course, Twitter says, oh, RDM didn't do this, he didn't do that, he made his substitutions too late. If he'd have made them too early, what would they have said then? I'd just give the guy a chance. We're four games in and already you can hear the the sound of steel on a leather strop as sharpening blades... Uh, are starting to be produced. It's ridiculous. And I'll just, I'll just, noted. Yeah, we'll I'm, stop you there before you have a. You threw it open to me, and, and you know I've got a fresh new, lovely wooden soapbox here for this season. So you know, back <laughs> off, back off, um, everybody. Well, I, I mean, the, the interesting point. I've, I've I've certainly seen a couple of calls. Uh, one on our blog uh, of calls. You know, get Pep in immediately, which oh. obviously was, <laughs> but, was but, treated but. with the disdain. It deserved. Um, any, anyone shouting for Mourinho wants to have a look at um, Real Madrid start season because they've just got a goal behind to um, Man City in the Bernabeu. Um, Checo just scored after acres of possession for for Real and numerous Ronaldo shots, and they have been punished for not um, not pushing home their advantage. But I digress. You, you, you would like to hear um, the, um, the if I, the, if I can the just give a count of you oh, and um, Tony. Um, yes, I'm not here. Um, sharpening my knife on a leather strap especially after last week I was told by someone that you can sharpen your knife on a newspaper because the print acts as a very fine grade abrasive is it really? so I've, I've now started sharpening the kitchen knives on the copy of my uh, on my copy of the sun Excellent. will it work on closer magazine? <laughs> um, no it won't work on it's got to be cheap nasty oh, right. print that comes off oh, on your okay. fingers okay. Right. <laughs> not, not a glossy one not cheap journalism then? oh okay. no, no right, um, okay. but um I mean, I, I have to be honest and say I have got this little nagging voice in the back of my brain that keeps casting doubt about Robbie Di Matteo. Mm. And, and after last season, with the success, he absolutely deserves the job. He deserves to be given a chance. Yes. But I do have this underlying fear that he might turn out to be our Winston Churchill and that he was the natural and greatest leader in wartime. And when our boys were on the beaches and they were sort of under attack, he managed to get them home safely, get them organised, re-motivated, and go on the counter-attack and fight a glorious battle that we won. But when it came to peacetime and he had to then work out, you know, how do we take things forward when we're not under such attack, he, he proved not to be the man for the job and others had to come in. And it may well be true. It may not be true. It may well be true. I don't know. Only history will tell. And we can look back in 12 months, 24 months, three years and say, actually, he was the man or he wasn't the man. But it is a completely different scenario now in that he is under real pressure from Roman to do better than last season and to do it with style. Mm. And actually, playing Bertrand, a fullback, as... um, an attacking midfielder against QPR does seem an odd decision. I mean, I know it was going to be a bit of a bun fight at QPR and you probably needed stronger people on there. And then Matter did get kicked off the park a bit last season. Yeah, he did. But, you know, we've got Oscar on the bench. We've got um, Moses, who is quite physical. He, he could stand up to a fight. And um, 
fight his way on the wing better than Bertrand, I would have thought. So it, it was a little bit odd, I think, and a little bit defensive against one of the teams are, you know, potentially going to be relegated. Yeah, there was there was certainly a, looking at the actual setup. It was there was certainly a degree of caution about it. Um, I think you know ultimately he's got to, he's got to find his own way, and um, I do, and I do agree with you. I think you know there is a sort of a slight concern that and, and a, your analogy is um, is excellent. There is a slight concern that it just worked. Um, in the way to sort of a lesser extent that for a brief period of time Kenny Dalglish at Liverpool worked it was just you know someone revered by the club loved by the fans the players identified with that just came in did a great job but then actually when it came down to sort of the the general day-to-day management of things and um, a sort of a a normal campaign whatever that might be um, it proves to be difficult but only it's it's a halo effect well yeah you know uh, just, before, just before we jump in, you've, you've remarked on. Um, I th- I've just seen that Real Madrid have just drawn level. Oh, um, right, okay, okay. But I just thought you might like to just as, as we're in that kind of loose chat mode or whatever. Um, Danny Baker put, put out a rather wonderful tweet after Manchester City scored. It said, uh, "Sensation! The team that cost half a billion has somehow gone in front against a team that only cost four fifths of that." And then <laughs> hashtag fairy tale stuff. Which is great. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I interjected wrongly there, but uh, please do. No, no. I, that's, that's I think as, as we're rapidly morphing into sort of uh, what is it, soccer Saturday? Which we also, <laughs> I, should are, also, are, I should also <laughs> mention that late Norian had just scored. Oh, but, well, um, <laughs> you know, never let it be said that we don't just concentrate on the money side of the game. That's yeah. uh, it's, we're I, I all believe, across this football thing tonight. I, I believe I Bob Mills is a, 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 a frequent listener to us. Yes, I'm sure he's an Orient fan. Yes, obviously. obviously. Yes. Um, uh, I, I think I think um, Di Matteo's problem basically is he's trying to sort out this the midfield. I, I mean, I don't I don't pretend to uh, understand you know double pivots and and all the various other techno speak of the modern game. I'm glad uh, you're, I'm not the only one because every time someone writes it on the blog, I haven't got a clue what they're talking about either. <laughs> mm. I, I, I have to say, I, um, I, I, I did spend. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, I, I did spend um, a, a few years ago. I, I became sort of quite enamoured with this whole tactical business, and you know, as, as, every, as every good you know sort of slight football geek did, we went off and we read Jonathan Wilson's Inverting the Pyramid and all that kind of thing. And you know, you picked up on tactics blogs and all that kind of thing and then actually realised that you were simply just sucking the joy, the very joy of watching football out of out of it um, so it, yeah, if it's a double pivot, who gives a fuck? Let someone well, I, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm not quite going down that road, I, I just mean that unlike yourself, I haven't studied it and therefore haven't experienced the joy well, I, disappearing, I just haven't I, I have and, and I still don't understand it's I've perfect. not had the time to really go into it you know, in in that sort of depth, but you know, my understanding is that he wants to play two central midfielders. Mm. You know, playing a sort of a four-two, whatever. And you've got this business of Mikel and playing Lampard. And what I picked up on from various comments around the place was that you know Lampard is having a problem. And you know, the couple of games I've seen, he certainly hasn't looked comfortable playing along. You know, he and Mikel don't seem to to work together. 
And well, they're, they're used to working in another way, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Lampard has to, you know, a bit like when Scholes had to relearn the game, you know, had to move further, drop deeper into midfield as his legs went, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Um, you know, and, and certainly, though, although it's, it was a friendly as far as we're concerned, he, you know, had a horrend- an horrendous night against Atletico Madrid. Um, and perhaps that's the reason why he's using Bertrand, because he, he, he needs to somehow cover a weakness that's there when, when Lampard plays the left side of that, you know, two-man midfield. And, and Ramirez has been wasted to, you know, he's, he seems to be, one, struggling with form, and two, not he's not a natural, you know, wide right yeah. player. So he's, he's obviously struggling to, to come to a decision on how he's going to set up this midfield without going straight down the road of somehow ending up with Lampard on the bench. But yeah. at the moment, when, when you look at a lot of the new players that have been bought are attacking forward players. You know, we've, we've got a... OK, we've bought a new right-back, but we've got a fairly settled, you know, half-dozen there at the back. You've got Sturridge and Torres. That's what we're going with this season, whether people like it or not. And then you've got all these creative... Herberts <clears throat> who we've brought in and it's trying to get a balance between those and your defensive midfield and I don't think it's going to be easy because I'm not sure they've got exactly the right comp- you know when you look at Yaya Toure playing there the other day and this Javier Garcia that they've got at City you know that's a t- particular type of player that can play in a certain way and we don't have that and yet we're trying to probably play a, a style that demands that sort of player so you know it, it uh, I understand what Mark and Mark is saying and I understand what Tony's saying uh, I think he's wrestling with with options I mean some people made the point of why not have rested Terry Cahill would have been a perfectly good replacement yeah. um, played Bertrand at, at left back and left Cole out and maybe that would have taken the heat out of the situation and then made the game because I, I'm not sure how many of those QPR players were playing there last season you know that was uh, the thing about QPR is on day one of the season they were right old shower but you look at what they've got now yeah or they've only just sort of all met on getting on the bus but He's bought a few decent, experienced players, including Basingra. You know, he's got the makings of a, a half-decent team that, that, you know, by Christmas, I would expect, would probably be starting to to do things, you know. he's And, and, and so, you know, perhaps Dimitar missed a trick there, but then if you drop Terry and Cole, it's almost like, a, well, on one hand, it looks like you've been sensible, but on the other hand, people would say, well, you're backing down, and that's not good psychologically for the team. Well, it's I, not. I and I think, to be perfectly honest, sorry to interrupt him, but I, th- I think it's it's the kind of occasion that Terry thrives upon, you know, a, a ground full of people booing him and, you know, people yeah. snubbing him in the handshake. It's, you know, he, he shrugs, he gets on with it, and, you know, and generally, in those circumstances, has a fairly decent game. Um, I it's... Well, I just, they I just take think, the crowd out of it because they've got less baying to do. It yeah. makes it less of a bear pit, takes the heat out of it, and therefore maybe makes it more of a football game. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I That's just, true. You know, I, I look at it from we didn't lose, 
and we haven't lost yet this season in the Premiership, and um, we have this uh, this whole thing around. Uh, Mourinho lost to Middlesbrough three 0 I think, in his first season. I think it was one of only two defeats. I think the other one might be Manchester City on a penalty defeat one 0 or something like that. They were two. It was two. That was yeah. Three, uh, three nil. Middlesbrough was the yeah. next season. I think it was his second was season. It? Uh, and, yeah, the first season, and it just uh, I'm finding the whole thing slightly you know it's almost like an inquest on a guy that's just drawn a game that we lost last season um, that I, th- I don't think our record at Loftus Road is particularly great anyway I mean even in the FA Cup games we've kind of struggled past QPR in the last few years we gave him a bit of a tonking at Stanford Bridge last year but I imagine there was the burn of revenge there or whatever so yeah. you know, I think you know, we were saying well we could have done this we could have done that you know he's he's a highly paid coach he's got a good team of staff there they a very good set of players and in this, on the same point that you said QPR, uh, sorry, Daniel, you said QPR look, maybe looked a bit of a rabble at the start of the season, whereas we didn't look a rabble. I think Mark Hughes's job is not that dissimilar to the one that Robbie's got in that he's trying to blend and get these new players in and try and find the right systems and various things at the same time as, as well, I guess other coaches are. And where there are far more experienced ones like Ferguson and Wenger and that, who's probably walked off a duck's back or whatever. Um, I just think we're, everyone's been a bit harsh on, on Robbie at the moment. I, I just sense that, you know, like I said, steel on leather. Well, I would um, actually, I would like, just in terms of um, tactical analysis, I think we've stumbled upon kind of a, a new way of putting across this whole, you know, how you describe formations and all that kind of thing. Um, four, double pivot. Creative Herbert's striker seems to be where we've we've ended up. Um, I like I think, the creative I think we Herbert. Should use, we should use variations on that to describe how Robbie has set the team up in future. So uh, when we, mm, I think it's, goal, it's three Herberts, because otherwise you've got eleven men and no goalie. But well, yeah, uh, yeah, I, f- yeah, I, I don't want to go too deeply into the tactics, John. But <laughs> I, think, I think actually, actually having a goalie and ten blokes out of the pitch. Is you know one ten is where we should start from and work on. From I, there. I, th- right. I think that's perfectly reasonable. So if if we have check four double pivot three creative Herberts striker, yeah, yeah I think that's roughly where we are, isn't it? It's, that will give us a, a good idea. So we w- we will develop this theme over um, overcoming podding sheds. Um, have we done? Have we done QPR now? Yes, I think so. Is that if, unless anyone has to add? I think we should move on. It's from the uh, it's apparently two, sorry affair. It's, a, it's apparently two two. Um, in the uh, Madrid City game, it, it was two one. Oh, yes, it was. Kolarov has just gone up the other. Oh no, sorry, Kolarov scored their second, and Benzema has gone right up the other end with a terrific turn and shot and scored. Three minutes plus Fergie time left, as it's just been described. Good heavens! And good. Uh, a lot of people are going. What? Well, it's a hell of a game. That's what they're saying. This is almost football worth watching. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, frankly, yeah. for the, cha- the Champions League group stages, is gen- generally a rarity, isn't well, it? Well, I mean, to be honest, that is a group that, you know, if that group doesn't produce some decent games, then they might as well pack the Champions <laughs> League up, might they? You know, it, it's... Uh, if, if you don't get some excitement in a, in a group like that, what hope have you? You know, yeah. for the rest of us all schlepping around, you know, the wilds of Eastern Europe and stuff. And just to add, you know, as, as Daniel did earlier with the Orient score, um, Leeds are being 
beaten 3-1 at Ellen Road by Hull. Oh, so farewell then, Neil Warnock. 1-3, Jay Thrib and um, Poets Corner, I think, there. Then. <laughs> and, uh, isn't what's-his-face, um, Fergie's, uh, Fergie's mate? Uh, Steve Bruce is at Hull now, isn't he, I believe? He? Yes, he is, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't like anyone to think that I stay up really late <laughs> after match of the day and watch the championship show. I don't. I, I, I pick this information up from other... You know, normal hour sources. <laughs> just, just, ha- just happen to know these things. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's probably best where we leave it. By a process uh, of osmosis. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, we will move on um, to, uh, as, as we have just noted, the Champions League is off again. Um, we defend our title as champions of Europe. Um, I didn't hear that, sorry. Uh, as- we defend our title as... Champions of Europe. Yeah, good. I just wanted to get that in twice. Absolutely. Yeah, no, why not? Uh, we, should, we should be milking it, frankly, until the, the trophy oh. is handed over to whoever, because Robbie doesn't think it's going to be us. He thinks it's going to be difficult. I, this I have a, no I have a, no I one have has a new, retained the trophy, have I they? I have a news alert, people. Go on. It is now 3-2 to Real Madrid, with oh. Ronnie, Ronnie Ronaldo scoring in the dying embers of the game, having just had an absolute belter saved against um, by Mr Hart. So it's now... Um, 3-2 Real Madrid is, is live, that, that, live updates for you there fellow <laughs> podcasters and listeners yeah, what we're lacking here is the in the background <laughs> this will build I think this will build <laughs> who's going to do the Phil Thompson scream of disappointment <laughs> <laughs> To be perfectly honest, with us, it will probably sound like the anguished howls of a constipated gentleman. But... Yes. <laughs> right. Oh, um, where we were, we were moving on to the Champions League, I believe, Mister. We, we were. I'm just. I'm just coughing and dying at the moment. So bear with me a second. Well, um, can you cough up your toffees a little bit quieter? Uh-huh. <laughs> right. I'm with you. Oh, here we go. Here right. We go. Um, yes, the Champions League is back. Um, tomorrow night, we play Juventus at the bridge. Uh, we played them back in 2009 when I think Gus was in charge. Um, beat them 1-0 at Stamford Bridge with a Didier Drogba goal and a 2-all draw out in um, out in Turin, which sent us through to, I think it was the quarter-final stage. Um, 3-2 on aggregate. Um, uh, neither of them terribly memorable games. We were discussing this before we went live on air and started waffling into a microphone but not terribly memorable but um, Claudio Ranieri was in charge at the time um, so there was a you know a little bit of a you know a story behind it um, but now it is arguably a fairly generic opening night Champions League game um, um, you, say, you say that John but I, I believe that uh, we're we're, <clears throat> we're looking at a possible a repeat of Laundry Gate, aren't we? Because um, the Juventus manager is, is a ten-month ten touchline ban. Conte is banned, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Ten months. Sorry. What did he do? Um, it's to do with ma- the match fixing and so on that's gone on. Oh, blimey, he got a, he got a game ban as opposed well, to a ban for the whole game. Like, no, I don't think he. I think it was his role in it. He he wasn't fixing matches, but I think there was. Oh. You know, there's been a big hoo-ha going on for months, them. but I don't know. But um, he was just betting on them, was he? <laughs> I, I just think I just think you need to. If I, unfortunately, I can't go tomorrow night. But anyone who is needs to be aware of any, you know, sharply dressed 
Mediterranean gentlemen hang, <laughs> hanging around behind pillars, whispering into telephones and the like. So, wasn't it because it was it was the Bayern Munich game where um, Mourinho was banned and he made that sort of very strange entry into the, the stadium and then disappeared again to much much hoo ha with the cameras on him. And did wasn't wasn't it VS Boas that was actually sat in the dugout with a a woolly hat on, you know, with, clearly with a microphone in his ear. Yes, and they, they reckon he was in a laundry basket out in a changing room or something. I see, yeah, I, I mean, it, it all I thought was... it was Rui Faria. But it, it, it was Rui Faria, like that's Faria. it, you're right, you're right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, the urban myth goes, and I, I suspect this is all very much part of the Mourinho, the Mourinho legend. Um, the thought we, of, the thought of, you know, Jose sort of crouched down in a sort of wicker laundry basket with you know, one of Didier Drogba's old training socks halfway up a nostril trying to mastermind <laughs> <laughs> a Champions League victory has always tickled me pink, I have to say. Uh, well, I've always, I've never really all, seen all, it. It's like, I've just always had the image of Manuel from 40 Towers when he was in the laundry basket with a hangover. <laughs> if, if, if we're referencing old, old comedy laundry moments, all I can think of is um, is Neil from The Young Ones with Rick's laundry bag yeah. over his head. <laughs> Nails being banged into the amphibian. But yeah. we really are digressing. Yes, I don't know what, what's gone on tonight, but we've obviously had a more sheltered it's... background because all I can think of is Julie Andrews in that one where she was in the laundry. What was that? Thoroughly modern Millie or something? Oh, dear, oh dear. Tonight's teenage special brought to you by. Yeah, one of my favourites, Julie yeah. Andrews. Had, had they actually laid any of the Atlantic telephone cables by that? <laughs> <laughs> Edison, Edison was just sort of working oh, on his patterns at the time, wasn't he? Carry on, Mr. Chairman. We're right off, we're right off town. Need to <laughs> regain control. We've gone right off tangent tonight. Um, Can I say, Jeff Stelling would never allow this to go. <laughs> I think you're probably right, actually. Yeah. We, we'd know exactly what was happening down at Scunthorpe at this point. <laughs> all I'm waiting to, uh, to just wait for someone to cheer in the background and uh, yeah. just you take it all off at a tangent again. But, uh, well, that, that is full time, by the way. Real Madrid have won 3-2. Three, 3-2. Two. Three, two. Marvellous. Um, so yeah, tomorrow we have um, events at the bridge. Um, I'm not sure if it's sold out as yet, which the, these early games generally don't tend to. But they reduced the price this year, I think, um, by about ten, which certainly helps. It is sold out. It has been. Sold that's out. that's yeah. good. Um, in these financially strapped times, that's not a bad thing. Um, yeah, I do, you know, it, there's there's the likes. You know, it's always a pleasure to watch the likes of Pirlo turn up at the bridge. Um, Nicholas Bentner, you know, we obviously have to fear as one of the world's deadliest strikers. Um, Vucinic, if you go with my theory of the Mad Balkan. I, you know, he's, he, he, was, he was very good down at Roma, wasn't he? I don't know. Is he, is he playing regularly for Juve? Um, um, so, no, didn't he score? He scored against us when we played Roma a few seasons ago, didn't yes, he? Yes, yeah. I thought he was, a, he was quite a decent player, by, from what I can yeah. remember. Um, yeah, I think he's he's playing regularly for him. He's played he's played yeah. three three of the Serie A games so far. So, yeah, he's a he's a danger man. I always feel. <coughs> so. um, members of the armed services will be carrying the Champions League trophy around the pitch before um, before the game, which is a strange one as as we discussed beforehand. But um, it will be good to see the big eared silver cup um, that we own for the next um, next X number of months being paraded around the pitch um, anyone going just out of interest yes I'm uh, going yeah. well, no, well, I should be there uh, I, I won't be because it's uh, midweek and um, mm. you live 
somewhere. I, I, I live somewhere way, way too far to get there. Easily in midweek games, it needs more planning and more money, to be quite honest. Yes, uh, good point, a good point. Um, so, well, you know, having having waffled about it for a little bit, there's not really a, a great deal to add. Um, I fear it might be stressful. Yeah, I think based on last year, the games against Napoli and Benfica, and then what happened to us in Monaco a couple of weeks ago against Atletico Madrid. I just have this feeling it's going to be a stressful night. Mm. I suspect you may be right. I wonder, uh, if the, I wonder if their confidence has been rattled a little bit by being drubbed by um, Atletico Madrid, which we were, let's be fair, um, and then possibly just choking slightly against QPR. Um, you, you wonder whether the confidence is just uh, wavering a little there. But you know, this is the sort of game that we've... We wanted to be, and we, you know, we we could have been playing Thursday, couldn't we? <laughs> if we hadn't um, dumped this Bayern, of co- but this of course is very true. Yeah. It could all be um, quite dramatically different. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we shall. Um, I don't think Juve will shall be. See. You know, Juve must be sitting there thinking, "Blimey, I wish we'd pulled out a group like Arsenal's, like we have." I I, I, I think. No one's going to relish coming to Stanford Bridge with our European record there. Um, yeah, if I was perfectly honest, if I was going to make a prediction, I think we, it's got draw written all over it. Cautious draw. That's my no. view. You know. Um, sure. Which go? That's that's your one. Um, Donald, quick prediction from you. Um, I I don't know because I, I haven't really seen uh, Juve. They 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 play a sort of three at the back system, don't they? And uh, a very f- a bit of a flexible sort, uh, a flexible system, and you know, having watched us against Atletico with a, a team that plays sort of flexible defence, and then you know changes and moves into attack quickly. If they're anything like that, I'd be worried. But then I, we're going to be more on our metal. I, 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 I think I, I, don't wanna, I don't want to overdo the Monaco thing uh, experience. I think no, um, and uh, you know. Again, one doesn't want to be too cliched, but let's lean on a couple of good, solid cliches. It's an Italian team, their first game away in the Champions League. They're probably going to come, one would expect, to walk away at least with a point. So, you know, it could be a... Uh, yeah, a draw might be might be the sort of result we're looking at. Um, I, I, but I would expect a tough game. You know, I, I don't... I, I think uh, they've got a bit about them these days. Duly um, noted. Um, and uh, while we're discussing, you know, where where we may or may not have a weakness and so on with this midfield that we've got, apparently Essien came on for Real Madrid tonight, a player that we sent out on loan. <laughs> Just it's one of those strange, strange things. I'm not. Well, it was according to. Um, various reports it was nil-nil when he came on and 3-2 when it finished so yeah. <laughs> what, what involvement he had in that is anyone's guess but, which uh, means that you could say it got very leaky when he came on and they had to strike back three times or he was part of the, the change round who knows uh, it, that's digressing but uh, yeah I, it'll be interesting to see what team he puts out I uh, yeah I think it could be a difficult evening because you know it, it's it, uh, there's a lot of, we're still trying to get this team together and get it playing but sure no absolutely mm. just, um, just a quick statistical 
analysis, if you like, between uh, us and Juve. Juve currently sits at the top of Serie A. We've um, played three. They've got nine points unbeaten. Goal difference of seven. Right. Uh, we've, of course, played four. Um, we are on ten points. Goal difference of six. So uh, I'd say that was fairly squeaky. Evenly very matched. tight, yes. Mm-hmm. So that, that bucks up my theory of a draw, then, I think. Probably mm-hmm. not, but, you know. Well, I'm going for a, a 2-1. Chelsea win. Mark, your thoughts? Yeah, well, following on from the um, Roberto Mancini analogy, I don't know if you heard it about Ferraris and Fiat Cinquecentos. Did you hear that one? I have, so I didn't, but carry on. Well, he he said if you're racing a Ferrari, you stand a good chance of winning, and if you're racing a Fiat Cinquecento, you don't stand such a good chance. And based on the fact that Juventus come from Turin, the home of Fiat, let's work on the basis we're playing against the Fiat and not the Ferrari. Therefore, despite the fact I said it's going to be a stressful night, which it is, it's going to be a very closely fought 3 2 win to Chelsea. Mm. Excellent work. So that's the Champions League. Um, it's off again, and um, well, let's see how we do. Um, a few quick parish notices before we, we kind of round off with a, a, a slightly more serious matter. Um, in the first instance, we um, we offer our condolences to the friends and family of Brian Walno, who died today at the age of 63 um, after a battle with bowel cancer. Um, Sunday Supplement is always an enjoyable watch for the, the controversy it provokes and, and the, the shouting at the television, and it's um, probably not going to be quite the same without him. So uh, we say rest in peace to Brian. Um, I've asked Nick to post a link on the site when uh, this podcast goes up. Um, there's a little into a 20-minute interview with um, Gavin Peacock about his uh, journey from football to being a Christian minister, um, which is just intriguing watching. Should you get have a few spare minutes to do so? Um, Chelsea Kings of Europe, the um, documentary that was on Sky Sports on Saturday night, is still lurking around on I think on Sky anytime and um, the darker recesses of the web. Should you um, choose to dig around, um, it's apparently well worth a watch. Um, you know, lots of slow mo stuff and um, piano, pianissimo type music in the background, which um, makes it all terribly atmospheric and evocative. Um, why not give it a watch? Um, and finally, we're not going to sing because, frankly, it will ruin the atmosphere even more. But Bobby Tambling is 71 today, so we wish him many happy returns. Um, we move on. Um, not a particularly Chelsea-related subject, but obviously something that has shaped football um, and the way we watch it over the last 20 odd years or so. Um, Hillsborough um, and the Hillsborough Independent Panels report that came out last week. Um, obviously, very damning for the police. Um, football fans not just the country but the world over have um, their own unique views about how the police have treated them in, um, over the years um, not always terribly complimentary um, the, the incident itself um, obviously tragic um, and the fact that the families have waited 23 years for, for someone to actually uncover the truth um, and explain exactly the, the, the police's complicity in in events and, and trying to cover it up um, is pretty disgraceful all round. Um, we have to look at it, it through the prism of what football was like back then. Um, it, it was far more about actually controlling crowds than their safety. I'm sure that you know any numbers have probably got tales about being corralled into um, into pens behind fences and, um, and not feeling terribly safe um, walls collapsing and, and all sorts of things that um, 
the, the, the Taylor report ultimately did away with um, when the move to all-seater stadia came in. Um, there's, there's just an awful lot of things to consider. Um, Donald, you had kind of views on this. If you could just sort of outline <coughs> your thoughts about the incident itself and what you think it meant for football. Um, yeah, I, I mean, obviously, it's difficult to talk about Hillsborough, why, you know, obviously everyone knows what happened, but once you start talking about what led up to it and what followed it, 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 it can all get very political and I sort of, it's probably not the, the area to go into that. It is worth pointing out that you know, there had been several incidents at Hillsborough, Hillsborough itself, as everyone has read about, uh, involved, yeah. uh, I think Tottenham and, and a couple of other clubs where people, you know, made it very clear that they, they'd felt themselves in danger. The place didn't have a safety certificate. Yeah. You know, all, all these sorts of things that, you know, just uh, seem astonishing. But at the time, I think we're just part and parcel of the way, you know, uh, was it David Conn or someone... Um, in the Guardian earlier this week, you know, about Bradford, you know, Bradford was a warning in, in the way that the ground was treated, you know, that yeah. uh, uh, rubbish was building up under the stands, the health and safety executive had <clears throat> warned them and so on and so forth. So, you know, there is this thing, as you say, about crowd control rather than crowd management, um, the putting up of fences and, and so on and so forth. And, you know, a spiral of the way fans are treated, the way fans were treating other people, blah, blah, blah. But um, I, I do wonder, you said it took, you know, X number of years for the truth to come out. Obviously, a lot of the truth came out many years ago. I mean, yeah. 14, 14 years ago, the, the Crown Prosecution Service had enough evidence, you know, to, to prosecute people then. Um, the Taylor report was, was, was quite damning uh, of, the, of the same people that we're now turning the light on again um, and my thoughts obviously away from you know away from the the, the tragedy of the thing itself and, and uh, the pain and suffering for families and, and friends and so on is this idea that <clears throat> the police were starting to and again this may come across as being vaguely political I don't mean it quite to be that way but uh, any football fan since then on the one hand yes our experience has improved because of the stadiums we go in, etc., etc. But you know, there are still plenty of uh, there's still plenty of anecdotal evidence that the way people are treated and the um, sort of legal framework in which football now operates, which is completely different to any other entertainment or sporting occasion in the country. A lot of that, I think, followed on from the way that the spotlight was turned away from the police and on to, uh, in this case, Liverpool fans, although it could have been any fans, um, and enable people to, you know, to build up this sort of framework of, of, of laws and practices, which, you know, still, although we feel safer in stadia, etc., can, can make some trips to, to football still very unpleasant when there's no reason for it to be so. And I think had... You know, people are pointing out that you know a lot of what South Yorkshire Police did, you know, was it was a sort of technique they practiced uh, at Orgreave and you know after Orgreave and various things during the miners' strike, the, the the getting your publicity in first, getting your story in first, uh, smearing the, the 
the opposition, as it were, had that not been so successful that they managed to, uh, you know, almost override the Taylor report, uh, there's probably, uh, from the civil liberties and, and just general, when you go to matches, you don't have to have a camera in your face as you walk up a a railway platform um, the assumption that you're no longer a citizen who's free to go about your business to the presumption that you are about to commit some sort of criminal act I think a lot of that came out of Hillsborough you know it was allowed to fester because they they didn't you know lay the blame squarely where it was at Hillsborough you know there's been lots of others that's probably true because um, there's there's a, I, I'm vaguely familiar with the um with the, the legalities of it and um, a quick reference to um, the other the, the Chelsea podcast that's far more organised and more professional than us which is done by Stanford Chidge and any number of his his pals they actually had Amanda Jackson the Football Supporters Federation on, on I think one of their last editions which I, I listened to very briefly kind of in the background while I was working but it, it's very interesting because her work is, is basically helping football supporters who've been nicked unjustifiably and you know there's, there's still an awful lot of them and, and some of the tales you hear are, still, are quite ridiculous actually in terms of what people have been pulled out of crowds for and you know ejected from grounds and you know threatened with their season tickets removed and so forth um, but yeah you know the number of people one of the, the key complaints is, is the amount of filming that goes on you know you are just standing there watching football and there's you know there's a, there's a copper with a camera on you Um but there's, there's so much legislation, certainly since Hillsborough, because the, um, the Football Spectators Act came in in, it was 1989, which was the year of Hillsborough. I can't remember whether it was a result of that or whether it was always already in the pipeline. Um, and then there's amendments to it. There's the Football Offences and Disorder Act, the Football Disorder Act, um, which are 1999-2000. Then there's a Violent Crime Reduction Act, which covers a huge amount of football-related legislation. Um, Mark, I mean, you've, you've been going to football for longer than all of us. Um, what, what's your view on policing of football and how it's changed over the years? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously it's changed significantly. Um, I mean, it's amazing, really, when you look back, how any of um, us have survived it through to 2012. When you look at the safety of football stadium. And when you look back at the safety of old cars, you know, it never amazes me when I see an old original version one Mini driving past and look at the size of it compared to just a regular car like a Golf. Mm. And and you think that if you were in a crash in one of those or in one of my first car, which was a Triumph Herald, you know, if you drove into, I don't know, a box of um, newspapers, you'd probably kill yourself in one of those cars. So lots of things... 30 years ago weren't nearly as safe as they are today but we all survived it um, I mean I can't remember really too much policing when I was very young going to football I remember big crowds um, but I wasn't too aware of policing but I do remember going into some very ropey old stands even the seated ones you know the old north stand at Chelsea was a very ropey stand that did wobble when people um, stamped their feet when we got a corner and it could easily have collapsed, I suspect. Um, so the safety of stadiums has dramatically improved, and you've only got to look at the stewarding. You know, five minutes before the end of a game, a whole bank of stewards come down and get between the crowd and the pitch. Um, so, you know, you can't really compare 
the rundown stadium that we were in 20, 30 years ago to what's going on now. Mm. But, it, but it shouldn't have it shouldn't have taken a, a series of tragedies. You know that that again, without being too political, because it goes across all parties. Underinvestment in infrastructure was, was a curse in this country post-war. You know there was a there was a splurge of money, and then you know basic infrastructure was ignored, and and that is one of those things that 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 was ignored was was you know stadiums and so on places where large crowds of people were gathering um the fact that they didn't have a, a safety certificate at hillsborough um you know but my, my feeling about it is is the way they've managed to conflate that there was a problem um with with football crowds at the time with youth you know which was for any number of reasons but they've managed to conflate uh Supporter behaviour with the with the environment in which you watch football, and almost like a deal has to be done. You have to behave yourself. We'll give you a decent stadium. You know, it's it's that sort of. Hillsborough is about the fact that they the crowd can it was crowd control rather than crowd management. It was in a poor stadium, and um, yet it's somehow coming out of that. Yes, you had. They were forced into putting money into infrastructure, in, into the stadiums, and so on and so forth. But out of that, also, they were still able to treat football fans as some, as a, as a group of potential uh, people more likely to break the law than anyone else. Such yeah. that you can't hire a coach and take alcohol on it if you're going to a football game. But if you're going to a rugby game or going to hockey or you know, going to watch dressage, put as much gear on there as you like. It's an issue, yeah. I mean, um, I think that's a, I mean, there's, there's this sort of strange. That, that's the point I'm trying to make. Is that you know they they still manage to to swing it over uh, as as the families have constantly pointed out. The blame in so many people's minds, and there's still, I'm sure there's still plenty of people today who still oh, yeah. think that it was you know. That. It was the fans, you know. All right, they, you know, they didn't urinate on the dead and things like that, but they were probably still, you know. And, yeah. and that's unfortunate. It and is allowed to happen. I mean, I think um, just. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of ploughing through the, the, the independent panels report at the moment. I mean, it makes pretty sobering reading in terms of. The, the, the Wolves-Spurs uh, semi-final that, that we referenced in 1981, um, there were 38 people injured during that, and it was actually policing that saved them um, in the sense that they realised that there was a problem. Actually shut off the access to pens three and four and directed fans away. Um, and, you know, the police actually allowed them out onto the fans out onto the pitch and, you know, arguably prevented, you know, the same disaster happening eight years before. Um Hillsborough wasn't used for semi-finals after that until they made modifications, none of which, like we, like we, we say, actually gave rise to a new safety certificate. Um, and in, in both 1987 and 88, there were crowd issues. Um, if you actually look at some of the documents that have been revealed, there were letters complaint from fans from the two years prior to Hillsborough, the Hillsborough disaster, saying, you know, the management of the crowd was terrible, we felt scared, we were crushed against barriers you know, it was you know, it, an accident waiting to happen um, and I think one of the worst things about it was actually, you know, given the, the amount of money that's in football now it, it sort of sounds almost laughable but 
some of the recommended changes to to Hillsborough to actually bring it up to standard were just rejected on the on the grounds that they were too expensive. Mm. And you know, when when you put it like that, it's it's a, it's a pretty tragic state of affairs that you know ninety six people ended up dying as a, as a result of any number of things, one of which being penny pinching. Um, but then to layer on top of that, John, uh, what's basically, uh, you know, if you call it what it is, is, you know, had any other group of people gone about this? Mm. It was a criminal conspiracy. Yeah, absolutely. Know, and, and to layer that over the thing is, is perhaps more chilling. There will, unfortunately, always be tragedies and deaths some, somewhere in the world. You know, uh, these things, they shouldn't happen, but they have happened. But then to to respond by basically uh, you know engaging in a, in a completely criminal act in the way that the the authorities did is is, is just is quite chilling really I think I, I find yeah I'll it, second that I agree you know, with that you know yeah it's, that's I mean that's also the worrying thing and, and you know moving if you move away from football briefly um, mm-hmm. the, the Orgreave um, you know the Battle of Orgreave Collier I think it was mm-hmm referred to popularly in the press um, I think there were 90 odd miners put on trial for you know all sorts of public order offences and I think they were all acquitted in the end mm-hmm. um, just because you know the South Yorkshire Police's verdict on or version of events just simply didn't hold water mm-hmm. and um, it was Bernard Ingham Maggie Thatcher's press secretary at the time when he was briefing on Hillsborough and I can't remember the exact wording, but it's something along the lines of, you know, the the attitude and, and version of events put across by um, by South Yorkshire Police was, was depressingly familiar. Um, and Thatcher herself said, you know, this puts the police in a very bad light, doesn't it? Which is clearly something that no one really wanted. And the fact that, that successive governments, you know, Jack Straw can can make all the comments he likes about how it was it was Thatcherism that, that sort of allowed all this to happen you know he, he was more than happy as Home Secretary to brush it mm. under the carpet yeah. um, it's it's the kind of it's the kind of incident that Tony Blair would have immediately shied away from being the very slick PR man he was um, mm. you know I think I think ultimately the main point it summarised very well and I can't remember where I read it but it was a, a Liverpool fan just suggested that well you know, had there been a, sh- a single shred of evidence that was enough to point the finger at football fans, it, it wouldn't have been quiet for 23 days, let alone 23 years. It, it would have been out there, and it would have been out there very quickly. Um, I think um, if we sort of turn turn to the, the Chelsea angle of it, um, there's been some some fairly unpleasant chance in terms of, of the way our fans have viewed Liverpool fans over the years. I think it's referenced as being us and United and, and one or two others that have been at the forefront of it. I, I can't ever remember that being historically the case, but I think in recent years where there's just been a little bit more needle between Liverpool and us because we've played each other in bigger competitions, it seems to have kind of come up from there. Um, you would kind of hope that would die out now. Well, uh, Tony, you've I, refer- you've, I've seen you reference this before yes. in your report, so how disgusted yeah. you were about it. Yeah, um, you know, I'm all I'm all in favour of um, of banter and and elements of tribalism at football. It's what makes the game and kind of differentiates it out, you know, from rugby and cricket, perhaps where there's a slightly more Corinthian attitude to you know amongst the fans as well as the players. And um, I, 
I, I've, I've always found that you know how 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 I describe the line is, is a difficult one. Was it my Roman Catholic upbringing? Was it just the the point of being brought up in a in a house where you know mum and dad had a reasonable idea of what was right and wrong? And um, I started going back to football regularly uh, just after we signed Zola, I think. And uh, I don't recall even. Um, yeah. At the, at the age of, I remember being at a Chelsea game at the age of 37. I think it was the Robbie Fowler, Graham Lasso, um, Argy Bargy game. And I, I remember it, I was 37 years old. I just had my first tattoo. And um, uh, <laughs> I, I don't recall any of that kind of thing going on. You know, no, I none don't of that, I was, none, I was none at that, that and I don't remember was, it at all. There was banter, there was, you know, uh, the you know, Indy Liverpool slums and, and the, the general, if you like, um, what you might call denigrating banter between the two sides or whatever, but nothing as nasty as um, the one I find most distasteful, which is, you know, um, you know, either the murderer's one or the you killed your own fans chant, um, uh, which I think for, for most right-minded people have known for a long, long time that that wasn't the case. Now, I've had a problem in the past because I've, I've often thought that Liverpool hadn't as Liverpool as a set of fans hadn't done enough to acknowledge the, the part they played in the Heysel tragedy, for example. Yeah. But in this particular case, when it's happened in a country that's a democracy, um, where we've, we've seen the examples you said, you know, all grieve and that of, of uh, if you like, rogue policing or, or almost anarchic policing to a certain degree. Um, you know, I'm always minded of stories of, uh, you know, Related things like the you know the Marchioness disaster, where the, the, the government played a huge part in in sort of covering up various elements of that and, and preventing relatives seeing the, the dead and this sort of stuff. Um, but in terms of the songs, there are songs that you know the who you know, we all know the the runway ones and the the, the the Manchester United ones. And I just think there's a line. I, I, I've said it before. I'm quite proud of the fact that I got a Chelsea fan thrown out of Stamford Bridge because of something he was particularly singing um, at, at Tottenham fans. Uh, you know, um, a, a particularly nasty. Uh, ditty, if you like, that he sang on his own. I don't, nobody sort of joined in around it because it was just so shocking. And uh, I just think there is still a minority there. And I do wonder what gets into people's minds when they start singing that. You know, I, I think one of the, the common ones is, um, just for example, you might, it might be a slightly lesser in terms of leaving a nasty taste, is that um, uh, people will sing a certain song uh, to Robin Van Persie, you know, uh, you know, uh, alleging, um, you know, that he was involved in a in a you know a sexual offence or whatever, which was completely disproven. And yeah. I, I don't know what that. What it people, just sticks. What they think they're, yeah, it, it, well, it sticks in my craw because I, you know, I would no sooner go to a next door neighbour that I hated and say something as nasty as that. You know, live and you know, get on with your life or whatever. It, it, I just find it crosses a line. It leaves a bad taste in my mouth and. Uh, um, you know, I've no doubt I've sung songs that other people might find slightly dubious or whatever, but none that are. There's, 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 there's dubious taste and political correctness to a degree, and then there's sheer nastiness. And I think, yeah, I, th- I think anything anything that, that that mocks human tragedy on any level is is yeah is pretty grim. You know, and, and it should stop. And I, it'll be interesting to see because obviously it's, it's United Liverpool next weekend, which is one of the, the more colourful fixtures on the. Um, 
in, in the Premier League schedule, and it will be interesting to see exactly what happens there. But they they um, raised it. They raised it this weekend, didn't they? I think there was the yeah. uh, Ferguson himself said. I, I think they were uh, the, the, the 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 line was something along the, the the song line is something always the victims. It's never your fault, or where you are. I imagine it's the usual sort of chant or whatever. And just uh, um, you know, the just as an United, interesting the aside. Uh, and in terms of high school, I mean, obviously, it's well documented as to what, what part Liverpool fans played in that. But the interesting point about it is that the scrutiny that the authorities and, and all, the, all of the, the parties concerned have been put under in terms of Hillsborough never happened for Heisel. UEFA, the owners of the stadium, the Belgian police, yep. um, ambulance service, absolutely none. You know, there was, no, there was never an investigation in terms of... Of, of there, there, were, there were some um, some there, there, there was, was some uh, there were criminal, criminal cases. Yeah, there yeah. were criminal cases against. I think fourteen people were were charged and um, and found guilty of involuntary manslaughter, but there was never actually an official investigation into the incident itself. <clears throat> Primarily because, as far as I understand, UEFA just didn't want one. Now, you know, the, the stadium itself was quite clearly unsuitable. The policing was was relatively inadequate. Now, obviously, you know, there, there, there was no question of, of what, what, what part of Liverpool fans played in it. But, you know, had the authorities been put under the same scrutiny as, as the authorities involved in the Hillsborough tragedy were put under it would be very interesting to see what would have come out um, uh, well, in terms I, of you know kind of a, a contributing point and the, the one that really interests me in terms of, of Hillsborough and, and just reading the report was one of the parties that came out of it really very badly indeed um, was the is the South Yorkshire Metropolitan Ambulance Service I, I mean just in conjunction with the police I mean terribly badly organised um, you could kind of caveat that in the sense that you know if there's x thousand football fans on a pitch in in the 1980s how many ambulance men were actually sort of keen to drive in there and go on the pitch at the time given you know what could possibly happen um but but they've come out of it particularly badly and you know some of their initial statements about what happened were really quite combative and defensive and you know Generally, sort of shifting the blame and so forth, but I mean that's that's just an aside. Um, interested to think about how we actually round this off in terms of. Um, well, I, I just wanted to. Uh, no, go on. I was going to finish off a very quick point, uh, the, the the Ferguson point about the Manchester United fans, uh, and what followed it up was a statement from the Manchester United Supporters Federation which said that uh, you know they don't want any of this sort of stuff going on, but that what the fans were singing on Saturday um, bore Suarez. no resemblance. Yeah, it, it, they were saying it's nothing to do with Hillsborough. Well, you know, the line, always the victims, never your fault or whatever. Um, you know, that, 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 that's wriggling as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it is And bullshit. I think you need, you know, you need a body... You either leave it alone or have the yes. courage of conviction to say, yeah, and, we come said out say, it, so yes, yeah. and Or that our fans shouldn't do it. And that, that's that's the last sort of comment I want to make on, on what has been a fairly uh, sorry affair, I think. No, I think that's um, that's fair enough. Um, yeah, you, you would kind of... I don't know when we play um, Liverpool next or at the bridge, but you would kind of... There is at least a, a thawing in... Um, in the, the relatively frosty relations we've had with him in recent um, in recent seasons, and um, that, that none of that happens again. Um, it's it's 
it's one of those subjects I'm sure we could probably ramble on about all night. Um, I would, you know, obviously it's 300 odd pages long, but it's actually worth having a look at the report because it really is quite sobering and quite an interesting sort of document of the times and, and you know, how, how the policing work, how the questioning of the, the fans was just clearly led towards, you know, they were all drunk, weren't they? It was their fault, you know the line was is actually quite quite disturbing in, in how quickly the sort of the state machine moved against um against the fans and the dead was um, was was pretty sobering and um you would like to think that it would never happen again but who knows well, you do who wonder knows? whether in the internet age whether that would whether, uh, well, the, 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 I guess the social media age that we live in would would be a very powerful and is already starting to show, you know, in both good and bad terms, the kind of the power of the the, the communal voice, if you like, you know. So it would be interesting. Well, not that I want anything to happen to prove that point. I'm just saying, you know, if you Mark made a very good point, there were things thirty odd years ago that you just you look back and you you cannot believe. I mean, people smoked in the office, people smoked in pubs, you know. I mean, um, and and here we are you know I think I think any society at any time is capable of demonising a group within that society yeah and I, I, I don't think electronic media it, it, it may help in, in certain situations it's well, perhaps harder to keep things under wraps but it, it's still quite easy I think to, and I, uh, just, yeah, I guess that was my point to, is, is to demonise a, a minority and yeah. sway people yeah. you know but we, it, we've seen you have to be maybe slightly more sophisticated in, in how you do it I guess my um, point was is that yeah. you you are actually you've, we saw it with the, the whole Twitter gate thing around um, you know uh, Ryan Giggs and, and injunctions and super injunctions and just the the kind of if uh, I'd prefer a sort of civil disobedience via social media and it's an interesting phenomena that we may just be at the beginning of seeing that, uh, you know, it's too late for Hillsborough, but such similar injustices or whatever happen again, you you may well find that that civil disobedience through that particular media plays a much more powerful part in society. That's my political rant over and done with anyway. Noted. Mr uh, Chairman. If anyone has anything to add on the matter, please I think, do. Yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm done, you know, it's... Uh, just, just on a lighter note, um, it would be a good way to finish. Tony did mention that um, he, he got back into Chelsea when Zola signed for us. At the time, he got his first tattoo, which does beg the question as to how many tattoos, Tony, you now have. Ah, right. And piercings. The first, <laughs> the, the piercings have gone, and I now have about five or six tattoos, I think, overall. But I was 37 when I was first tattooed, so um, it, and, and I was completely sober, yeah, so it wasn't, um, uh, it was, uh, I don't know what it was. <laughs> it, it was a midlife crisis 13 years ago. <laughs> so where, the hell, where that puts me on my timeline of life, I don't know. My, my skills maybe wouldn't be good enough to differentiate me, but I think I would try and be the last remaining footballer to not have any tattoos all the way up the arm yes. and no piercings and that would stand me out as being unique I think yes yeah I do. It's, 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 it's a very common thing I must admit I'm not, not a fan but you know each to their own yeah and all um, that um, just a, a quick we ought to clear up a you know now that we are bidding to be uh, competition with Soccer Saturday we did in fact make a, a slight error earlier on when we were talking about Essien he was just, actually he just actually stuck yeah, he actually started. 
Oh, did and he? It was nil nil when he came off. Oh, right. And then all hell broke. <laughs> so I think the theory is that defensively Real Madrid were pretty sound while he was on and then once he disappeared and that's all the more staggering he actually started tonight but and one other thing I think we ought to say is that um, uh, there was one other birthday that uh, we needed to to mention that was your your uh, friend and associate DJ Danny F and I would like to wish a happy birthday and also yes indeed um, commiserations for next Sunday when undoubtedly the uh, Although I, I am a Kerry man, I carry no bitterness, but um, for family reasons, I, I must be siding with Mayo, which obviously means I will now be unfollowed. <laughs> um, well, I, I, did not, I didn't realise you were a Kerry man. I will be I blocked. In, I, right. I just want to throw in the mm. fact that uh, I am therefore um, eligible for Kerry man ship, um, oh, as yeah. my mum um, was from Sneem. Oh right, okay. So you're you're I'm 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 sort of a plastic paddy. You're I don't know bordering on the. I um, I, I'm entitled to an Irish paddy. You're you're, you're a quarter of a paddy. I'm yes. only half a paddy because yeah. I was born over here. But, but yes, we're all you know. It's it's funny that Kerry men should all gather round the the you know Chelsea. I suppose one dominant uh, footballing county should naturally gravitate towards a dominating football team. I'll say no more. <clears throat> Duly noted. Um, <laughs> in, the, in the week ahead, uh, we have obviously Juventus tomorrow night. Um, we have Stoke at the Bridge on Saturday. And in our second consecutive three o'clock kickoff, as far as I'm aware, which is yes. prob- probably unusual these days. Um, and then Wolves in the, um, the Debt Cup on um, ooh, Tuesday next week, as far as I'm aware. And yeah, I that one passed me by. This cap- what is it? The Capital One. The Capital One Cup. Yeah. 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 You, can, you can have a credit card at you know 2,472 percent APR. Or oh, I, I've, I've got a Capital One card. It isn't quite that bad. <laughs> Other, other credit oh, cards are available. We they are add. available, absolutely. But, but they do run some fairly steep loan type nonsense, don't they? I, I've been reading. Yeah. Maybe not over here, but in the so, states. I, I'd, I'd like to comment on Stoke, actually, if that's if that's all right, Johnny. Very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's strange. It's strange. It's strange that he should, after all. Well, Crouch yes. is staying with you the night before. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, it'll be good to be reunited with my old mate Crouchy. We've had the cupboard extended, etc. Um, but I just wanted to make the point that it is my first game this season. My words. Uh, I came in with a 50% mojo tonight. It's gone up to around 70-75 just by virtue of this discussion and, uh, and being in this virtual room with you all. Um, I am uh, doing the match report um, for the Juve game tomorrow night for our dear leader. Um, um So that will add a little bit more. Um, the only downside of it is is that I've got to bastard well drive on Saturday when I could probably do with having a few beers. But um, I'm thoroughly looking forward to resuming my position in the Matthew Harding upper. Um, and, and you could yeah. indeed be the Bock then, couldn't you? I could be the Bock. I'm... I'm uh, for, for, the pre- for Premier League, we, we're unbeaten in the Premier League so far and now, ah. you're, ter- now you're turning up. You're turning yes. up to bugger it all yeah. up. Well, I did say that the first game I did watch in full this season was us versus Atletico Madrid. Mm. You make of that what you will. And I know Johnny I, I would only be, be too happy to, put, with, with, to, to hang the hex around my neck and say, mm. you know, keep this man out. And Well, I'm, I'm glad you're there because I'm. it's my first game of the season as well. Uh, well so done. It well means done. that, you know, we, no one can quite identify whose fault it's going to be. <laughs> ah, this is superb. 
<laughs> Excellent. Plausible um, deniability. Yes. That's, that's, that's a fine note on which to end. Um, we will return next week with more to talk about. Gents, enjoyable as always. Um, if you have comments on our inane ramblings, then um, stick them on the blog, www.chelseafcblog.com. Um, leave us some feedback. You know, we like to hear what you think of it, even if it's fuck off, you're all a bunch of morons. Um, on that note, I bid you all farewell, gents, and uh, we will reconvene next week. Uh, good night. Bonsoir, as they say. Yep, good night from him. <laughs>